0: No longer will you be driving home in tears over the overwhelming feeling of trying to manage student behaviors. So sit back, listen up, and start seeing success. Welcome to this episode of the Teaching Behavior Together podcast. Today we have Danielle and Amanda from Navigating Behavior Change here to do a quick little interview about their jobs and some strategies that they have for working for, with behaviors in their classrooms and in a school setting. So, if you guys want to introduce yourselves, hello, I'm
1: Danielle Lindquist. Uh, I'm a prior special education teacher and currently um, a behavior specialist and board-certified behavior analyst.
2: And I'm Amanda Wilson. I am a nationally certified school psychologist
0: and a board certified behavior analyst. Awesome. And you guys both work in public schools, correct?
2: That is correct. Mm -hmm.
0: So do you want to just talk a little bit about your roles and how you um, handle behavior in your role in your district? Sure. Danielle, do you want me to
2: start? Alright, so as I said, I'm a school psychologist and a behavior analyst and my current role is that of behavior analyst for a self contained program. There are 16 classrooms in our district and I'm assigned to that program and my primary role is um, Conducting the functional behavior assessments and the behavior intervention plans for um, all of the students in that program, providing a lot of staff training support in modeling and um, breaking down the components of the behavior plan so that we get greater uh, implementation. And right now in this virtual world that we're living in, I'm uh, doing a an awful lot of professional development for our staff and developing just trainings. And so things have shifted a little bit, but um, that's kind of my primary role, I'm not in that traditional school psych role in function anymore, which is enjoyable for me. I like this role better. Um, it, it's my my
0: interests a, a little closer. And so um, I find it really rewarding and enjoyable. I was gonna I- say, that's, that's not a very typical school psych role. And um, that's so awesome that you get to have that like behavioral, another thing that a lot of people ask about is how to get into a behavioral role. And being a school psych is one of the ways to uh, influence behavior change in your building. It just depends on what kind of role you're taking in the district. So that's really cool that you have that behavioral, behaviorally focused role. It's enjoyable,
2: I like it, thanks.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and
1: I used to work in the same program as Amanda, as both a um, behavior specialist and special education self-contained teacher. Um, Now, I currently work as a behavior specialist at a K-2 school, Um, so now I'm really on the proactive side of things. I do um, currently write uh, behavior intervention plans and conduct functional behavioral assessments, but the majority of students um, with really receiving those Tier 1, Tier 2 supports when it comes to behavior. really just looking at classroom management skills and really training teachers on, you know, how could we incorporate some choice or some active student responding and, and really getting behavior change early on in that cycle before they even get to that level of needing a tier three level support. Um, and oftentimes we find that we are actually writing in tier one and two supports into these behavior intervention plans that are happening at a tier three level because it's just good teaching and You know, it's easy to want to jump to that, that tier three behavior support. But a lot of times you can get behavior change even with those more complex kiddos with with some just general basic good teaching strategies. So it's been really fun for me to kind of be on the other side of things.
0: That's awesome. And I totally find the same in my role is that really implementing like multi-tiered systems of support is so key to behavior change and really focusing on tier one and tier two as opposed to that tier three highest level of behavioral implementation because not all of our students need that. If we have like solid tier one and tier two strategies, we might not always anyway get to tier three. So that's so awesome to hear that that is your role as well. So one of the main topics that we wanted to talk about tonight is just some barriers that you see to behavior change in schools, and then any strategies, interventions, or tips you have for special education teachers for kind of overcoming those barriers so that we can see our students being successful related to different behaviors. Yeah, definitely. Um, there are definitely a lot of challenges that we encounter.
2: Um, and. I think we'll get into quite a few of them as we go today but you know one of the biggest ones I think is that um, our teacher training programs uh, don't often prepare our teachers for the reality of their classrooms Um, given that so many of our students are experiencing mental health or have experienced trauma um, and there's far more behavioral challenges in our classrooms than what I think our, our gen ed teachers or even our special ed teachers are Kind of led to believe and then they get there and you know their general classroom management skills that they've taught uh, been taught and learned aren't enough. Um, And so I think that's one of the biggest barriers is just overcoming that skill gap in what they've been prepared to do and what the reality of their classrooms, you know, tends to be. Um, And so we often find even within, you know, like self contained programs and with, you know, teachers that um, are teaching special education. That they they often lack the skills, so it's not that they won't do what they need to do, but they don't know how to do what they need to do, um, and learning all of that at once, uh, you know, or it often feels like it's all at once, can be really overwhelming to them, and I think that's a huge challenge um, to overcome and to you know to work through. Because it's not a one and done, it's not, you know, read this and do this, it's an ongoing process and an ongoing learning process for our teachers to learn to create that behavior change and those strategies and, you know, interventions that we need
0: to utilize. Absolutely. It's definitely, it starts at definitely teacher prep programs. I hear over and over from teachers like, I never learned this or no one ever told us this. And in providing PD can be such a huge part of our role as people that help influence behavior change and really but really finding time for pd can be a challenge as well when so much of the pd is focused on academics because that's what our students get tested on so really trying to find that time and resources to conduct pd is something that definitely we need more of in schools
1: absolutely i think one way you know to mitigate this is to really get creative and you know you it's easy to say we have no time But when it comes to the needs of these students, we have to create the time. And a lot of times that means getting creative. Um, You know, having been a prior teacher, I had to get really creative at times. And whether that be, you know, begging your principal to, you know, pay your um, paraprofessionals for an extra 30 minutes once a week or, you know, putting some kids in a small group and just letting them have some leisure time while you train your staff on some behavioral skills. Um, we call beg, borrowing, and stealing other paraprofessionals um, to cover your kids, or vice versa um, with another teacher and, and staff in the building to cover your class while well, you train your 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 staff because in the long run it, your kids are going to get more access to learning and education um and independence and peer relationships if you take that time to train your staff up front um, and and you really do have to make it a priority um, because we're not always given you know our perfect little 30 minutes every day to train um, so again really if it is a priority, which it should be, you you have to create the time and really get creative.
0: Have you found any strategies that are, like, are most effective when you are sitting down and training staff? Or what should staff be looking for out of a training, do you think?
1: So we're big fans of um, the behavior skills training model and really focusing on the skill deficits for those staff members and Sometimes it comes down to, you know, okay, a certain group of staff have the same skill deficit or they don't understand a certain concept, so we're really going to focus on really giving the rationale for that skill, doing a little modeling and role play and feedback during that session. Um, So again, it really depends on the, the specific needs of that staff and or a specific student that you might be focusing on.
2: I also think it's important to create that um, or find that staff buy-in so helping to sell like how is this going to benefit you, you know, how is learning this, how is prioritizing this going to benefit you, is it going to benefit your staff, how is it going to benefit your students. Because I think it's easy to get stuck in that reactive, like this keeps happening, we're having to react, we're having to do this. But it's very hard to switch that around to being proactive and preventative consistently just because of the time constraints um, that are on all of us. Like Danielle was saying, you know, you often don't have your TAs for as long as you you're there um, and finding those opportunities. But when you can get that find that carrot, you know, get that buy-in about how it's going to benefit them. Um, and then start small, too, because, you know, I always joke, uh, you know, I might walk into a classroom and notice that there's 327 things that need to be changed right there, but we can't do them all at once, right? we got to start with the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe we're going to start a little bit further because that's the one thing the staff really wants to work on. Um, and so we're able to get that care, get that buy-in so that we can start... You know, working towards building those skill sets and making sure that there's a payoff for the staff that, you know, engaging in this learning process and this problem solving and learning these new skills is beneficial and so that, you know, it's reinforcing.
0: Right, absolutely. One thing that I've found can be really helpful now with having to switch so much to online learning is recording videos, that instruction piece of the behavior skills training model so that staff can watch that on their own time, and not on like a non-contract time, but on their own time, meaning like we don't all have to be together for that and then doing the modeling and feedback later on to kind of like break it up a little bit, but also making sure that we're getting that instruction piece in there, not feeling we have to rush through that to the modeling portion of behavioral skills training. So that's one advantage that has come out of like this new technology wave that we're seeing in schools, um, access to more training videos and, and stuff like that. So our staff can get some of that professional development that is definitely a barrier to to behavior change.
2: That's a great idea to just prioritize that training part so that it isn't rushed. Um, and, and I would agree. I think we are actually getting to provide, at least in where I'm working, we're providing a whole lot more PD than we did in the past, and we're also able. Um, just side note, to involve more team members in like that FBA process mm-hmm. because Zoom, we're, we're now we're Zoom masters, and um, people are available, and it's just it's more convenient and easier, and we're we're getting that involvement in that way.
0: Absolutely. You mentioned the FBA and BIP process. What um, are some things that teachers or special education teachers can? What can they do to help um, support that process and really um, find the most benefit out of that process for their students?
2: Uh, Start collecting data, (laughs) right? Um, You know, I always tell them, I can't come in and observe and take you know, any data until I have parent permission, but you as the classroom team, you can collect all the data in the world that you want. So there's no need to delay. You're starting to see a, a behavior, it's new. Start with that ABC data, data collection, start working on that so that when we do meet, we've got a bit more information. Um, but also, um, you know, taking a role in sharing um, input, um, as we go through that interview process, um, and I've, I'm finding now too that I have more time to actually thoroughly do that um, versus you know bits and pieces here and there. I get oh I, I just found this staff member, let me quiz them for ten minutes and then go on to someone else. Um, so you know they're able to have more of a you know participatory role in it. Um, but the first things first. Start with that data collection. We don't need to delay that, and that's going to help
1: you know that whole process from the get go.
0: Yes, we love our data. We love our
1: data. <laughs> um, I, you know, another barrier that comes to mind, you know, having been a teacher and still working in the schools is a, a lack of curriculum when it comes to teaching self-regulation, um, coping skills, you know, problem solving, conflict resolution, all of that. And there are a lot of curriculums out there and a lot of resources however we know that many of them are not backed up by research or evidence um you know and it can be easy to want to just reach for and grab and use what the teacher's using down the hall and a lot of times we find that teachers aren't necessarily using a, a resource that is research or evidence-based and they're kind of just stuck in that teaching and then not seeing that generalization piece. Um, you know we keep working on you know the XYZ every day during social skills time but he's still not using that skill and I think that's really difficult for because you know for math and reading and writing and spelling we have access to really good curriculums, depending on our district. Um, And it's a a lot easier because a lot of them are scripted. Um, A a lot of them we are trained in. And then when it comes to behavior, there is no (laughs) manual that says, here is how to fix this problem behavior. Um, And so we really recommend talking to your school or district's um, psychologist talking to any behavior specialist, even if you don't have one at your school, if you have one within the district and really, really doing your research on what is proven to be effective. Um, What strategies can I use to teach these skills? And how do I go about breaking these down? Um, and, And that really comes with doing some research and putting in that legwork to make sure that we are using resources that are going to benefit our students and, aren't just wasting their time and hours.
0: Absolutely, and and you mentioned a really great point is that a lot of times we sit down with our students and we do a social skills group or some sort of other skill building lesson in a small group, but then we don't see that skill generalizing. So do you guys have any strategies for like, how do we really promote that generalization to an actual situation in the classroom when they become frustrated? or upset about something or, you know, at recess or whatever it might be. Cause that's something that I like get asked day in and day out. They can tell me the strategies mm-hmm. when I'm sitting in front of them, but they, they don't actually engage in those strategies.
1: This is the hill we will die on, and we are obsessed with talking about it, so I'll let Amanda hit this one. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: replacement skills is really kind of our big passion topic, and um, how to explicitly teach those to the point of generalization, and when we hear that same question, you know, like he can, or a statement that he can tell me what he should have done, but he's not doing it, we equate it to, well, he doesn't yet have the muscle memory for that new response, so in those moments of frustration or fear or whatever it may May be that rationality decreases and that child is falling back on the pattern of behavior that they've used in the past. Because they don't have the muscle memory, they haven't generalized that new skill. And what we always talk about is um, the need to teach those coping skills, you know, evidence based ones um, in isolation until they're fluent without the presence of stressors. Um, and then to work on um, developing a stress hierarchy or a frustration hierarchy. Breaking that down to when are they sometimes successful? When are they, you know, eh, a little bit more, maybe not. And when are they never successful, right? And breaking that down and then contriving opportunities to practice using that skill in the presence of those actual situations or stressors that are hard for them. But in a way that is safe and contrived, that we can prompt them through, make them successful, and essentially build the muscle memory for that new response before we just turn them loose to use the skill In the natural environment, you know, Um, and so we spend a lot of time teaching on that subject teaching staff how to kind of think from that short term replacement skill to the long term goal. How to task analyze that skill and then how to use behavioral skills training and teaching interactions to actually teach the skills and um, you know contrive those opportunities to practice.
1: And a lot of it, it's a really, you know, the, the popular model is for kids to have a pullout service and maybe counseling or social work. And then, you know, they can do the skill in, in a one-on-one setting or a small group, but then they're out at recess and all of a sudden they're melting down. Now, those are two very, very different environments, right? A highly structured one-on-one setting and then a very unstructured setting with a large group of peers. Recess is stressful for me as an adult, right? (laughs) Um, And so it really takes collaboration from all team members and staff who are working on those skills and really sitting down and making a plan from the beginning. Okay, we're working on this skill. How can you reinforce the skill when he's with you? Um, How can we incorporate other peers? How can we then incorporate other adults? So we start to use and generalize the skill across people and setting and times and, you know, different activities. And so really it it takes that team getting together and sitting down and really making a step-by-step plan of how we're going to get from A to Z.
0: What you guys said was just gold. Seriously, this is something that like teachers struggle with all the time is really how it is to to teach the skills so that we can see the skills when we can see students engaging those skills fluently when they need to be engaging in those skills, right? Not when they're perfectly calm, but that's when we should be teaching skills. We just need to make yeah. sure we're teaching for generalization. That is such a huge tip for teachers and something that is going to be so influential, influential to behavior change of our students. So thank you for sharing your guys' method on that, because I know teachers listening to this are going to take that and run with it in their classrooms. And we really get it. It's a hard, it's a hard one. <laughs> it, it is a hard one. It's so, it's so difficult um, when when students are engage, engaging in appropriate behavior when they're with us, and then all of a sudden, you know, a situation arises and and they engage in that meltdown or whatever it might be, and it can leave a teacher really frustrated because they've taught the skill, they've done the behind the scenes work, but we're kind of missing that like middle transition piece of really making sure we're teaching that to fluency, contriving those situations so that we can reinforce that skill um, so that they're able to engage in those those behaviors because no kid wants to have a meltdown, right? That's not a pleasant experience for anyone but if they don't know what else to do, again, they fall back on that pattern of behavior when when they're in a situation that upsets them, makes them frustrated, angry, whatever it might be. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah. And a lot of times it's uh, the metaphor that I use is it's, it's
0: not even a metaphor. It's
1: you're just like teaching the behavioral skill is as, as, as you would an academic skill, right? We don't just teach um one sight word and then expect them to be able to fluently read a a whole passage right you you work on the fluency of that sight word you work on the sight word within the context of a sentence and then you know you identify the sight word around the school or in different magazines and books and you really work on that generalization of that word and it's really the exact same when you're working on a behavioral skill
2: There's a scope and sequence and if we don't plan for generalization from the beginning it's not going to happen plain and simple the hope
0: and pray method does not work (laughs) absolutely absolutely all right so i have another question for you what are some of your strategies for escape maintained behavior that's another huge one in schools that teachers can become frustrated with because a lot of times um like if you're thinking like traditional aba right where we have a lot of procedures and interventions to use for escape, but they're not always possible in a classroom setting, especially when you have other kids in the classroom, you're teaching, you're juggling 500 things at once, but we have a student who's engaging in behavior to avoid or escape. So it's a really great point. Like um, extinction procedures, some
2: procedures just aren't feasible. They're not safe in a school setting. Um, for, For me and where Danielle used to work with me, we have a lot of kids who've experienced trauma um, and so, you know, a lot of those this, um, traditional interventions wouldn't be appropriate. Um, so the one thing that I really like to tell teachers is that we really need to watch for the precursors. Watch for those subtle signs and that is our point of intervention. We don't want to wait till it gets bigger because we don't want to inadvertently reinforce um, escape maintain behavior by allowing the behavior to get big enough that, you know, then they have to leave the room to de-escalate or whatnot. But if we watch for those precursors and we intervene then with, you know, offering choices or prompting a break, um, or just a, hey, what's up? Let's talk, you look upset, you know, just a, a, you know, being a a good human. that's our point of intervention that's where we get the most bang for our buck if we intervene versus you know not noticing that letting things go on or knowing full well "Mm, these are signs of escalation um we know that math isn't preferred but darn it they're going to do it today right um and kind of forcing that
1: that issue and so i always talk about the precursors Mm -hmm. um and you know, more on that, um, what can we do to accommodate? What can we do to the curriculum? I typically find, you know, kids don't want escape tasks for no good reason, right? There's, There's always a reason, right? They don't, it's not that they don't like math, it's like they don't like being frustrated or they don't like being confused or they don't like being overwhelmed. So really figuring out what is it about that task or activity or demand that they're trying to escape Um, and I'm actually working on this right now with a student, right? A lot of times, that's why that break card doesn't always work. And I know that's a very frequent go-to for a lot of teachers, right? Oh, just do a break card for escape. But that problem's still there when they come back. So teaching problem-solving skills is a really big one that I try and work on with teachers and students. Okay, what is it about this activity that is hard for you? then you can really narrow in on, okay, what skill do I teach um, and what can we do about this versus just taking a break and then coming back to the problem. Also, um, quite frequently, students engage in escape-maintained behaviors because it's not engaging enough, right, Um, and I hear teachers say all the time, well, this is school, it's not always fun, and my answer to that, well, it should be, right? You need to incorporate their interests. You need to differentiate it to their ability level. Um, If it's too easy, make it harder. If it's too harder, make it easy. If it's too boring, make it more fun. These are all things that we should be doing for all of our students, not just ones with more explosive, intense behaviors. Um, I also, you know, highly recommend one of the most research and evidence-based prevent strategies for escape maintained behavior is offering choice and we can't be getting stuck with this is the task you have to do it right there is always a way to incorporate some type of choice no matter what red or green blue or you know sit or stand pencil or pen um really getting them to complete that task which is your agenda but giving them some ownership and some control over that um is is such a a really good strategy to use that is not used enough
0: yes that is so true again what you guys just said was gold and i'm hoping <laughs> so many teachers find this episode and listen to all of your advice because it is so so valuable and so many ways teachers can take this into their classroom tomorrow and start incorporating some of these ideas to see some of that really effective behavior change So before we go for tonight, where can everyone find you and what sort of resources do you guys offer?
2: So we can be found on Instagram at Navigating Behavior Change. And we also have a website by the same name, NavigatingBehaviorChange.com. And we offer, uh, we have blogs, um, mostly written by Danielle. Um, We have um, a lot of downloadable resources. that are available. And we also offer a membership uh, that we differentiate. And this is what I think is really cool about the two of us being partners. She's a SPED teacher in a BCBA. I'm a school psych in a BCBA. And so we have two memberships that we differentiate the content for. Um, So Danielle primarily takes care of one, uh, the one that's targeting teachers, right? Um, and addressing and differentiating the content to be what a, a general teacher um, or a special education teacher would, would want to know and learn about um, behavior change. And then I'm gearing towards more of the school psychs for the BCAs, um, maybe those with a higher levels system understanding of schools um, and what the content they may need and want. Um, and so that's one of the really cool things I think about our membership um, is that we actually, um, you know, differentiate and kind of talk the talk, right. And walk the walk.
0: Absolutely. So everyone go follow them over on Instagram and check out their website as well and their resources and join their membership. If you need more support with behavior change. All right, that's all that we have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you found this episode helpful. And if you did, if you'd be so kind to leave a rating, a review, that would help other teachers find this podcast and these episodes. Thank you again so much for listening and have a great rest of the day.